Did you know that there's a type of witchcraft that is being practiced by some today? In family relationships, in places of business, among neighbors, even in relationships in the church and among the body of Christ. It involves operating with a spirit other than the Holy Spirit to dominate, manipulate, and control others. Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. In today's session, which is entitled Free from the Web of Witchcraft. Let's pray and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we just praise your holy name. You're worthy of our praise, Lord. We have nothing to fear, no one to fear. You are our high tower. You are our place of safety. You are our place of immunity. You are all power, all glory. Oh, Lord, encourage our hearts today. Encourage our hearts today. And I pray the only fear that we will have in our lives is walking in the humility and the fear of the Lord. But you'll deliver us from all of our fears otherwise, Lord. May this be a time of enlightenment, a time of encouragement. And I, and I pray that even by addressing this subject matter in these days is, is going to help many, if not all, be free from the web of witchcraft. Thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new to Freedom, welcome today. You've stepped into a three-part series entitled Free from the Web of Relational Demonics. There are many dynamics in relationships, and sometimes it gets pretty bizarre. And sometimes we're wondering, what in the world is going on? Well, I pray that this three-part series is going to shed some light on what's going on. And it's going to enable you to be free from the web and be a part of the solution. Not only be free yourself, but help others become free as well. Let me begin by uh, sharing a story. She was a smooth, silky person a smooth and silky woman, given to flattery, very socially skilled, but she sought to undermine relationships with others. And uh, she seemed to succeed for a season. We were involved in her life, and she was involved in ours. And for a season, she was succeeding in undermining our relationship with others. She was given to flattery, as I've mentioned, very undermining, sowing discord among relationships, in relationships. She was lying much of the time, accusatory, controlling, manipulating, very skilled at getting her way. It would be safe to say that she only did what she really wanted to do. Nobody could really get her to do otherwise. She played the victim role very often. In our response, we chose not to defend ourselves. It was very challenging. We instead prayed. We prayed that she would repent, that the Lord would bring out into the light what was really going on. We surrendered to the Lord and uh, became of no reputation, wanting the Lord to be in charge of our reputation, to vindicate us from anyone believing falsely about us. So we prayed and prayed and prayed. I wish I could tell you that she was free today. We prayed that the Lord would either bring her to repentance or remove her from our lives. She's still alive, but the Lord did remove her from our lives. This went on for years and years and years. In this case, more than seven years. I remember, I remember last week, if you were here, I mentioned that any situation that I've been involved with where, where Jezebel or witchcraft was involved, uh, it took no less than seven years for it to come to light and for the, for the person to uh, either come to repentance or 
be removed from the scene, either by being confronted and being put out of the church or leaving on their own accord, by their own initiative. I wish I could say that I had a lot of situations, a lot of uh, people that I was familiar with that uh, have been set free willingly from Jezebel and witchcraft. I am happy to report, however, that a young lady came up to me after class last week. I won't mention her name. I'll let her tell her story. But she came up to me last week, and she said, I'm convicted. She said, I'm guilty, and I want to be free. That's good news. I know what it's like not to be free. For me, it was a stronghold of rejection that affected my life for many years. And I know what it's like to be free. And again, we're in this freedom series talking about what it takes to be free. And I'm convinced you can be free. What would cause, what would cause a person to be drawn into this web of witchcraft? First of all, to be a practitioner, if you will, one who is operating with a spirit other than the Holy Spirit to dominate, manipulate, and control others. What would cause a person to be drawn into that? I believe in a lot of cases it's not something people want. And I believe in many cases people are being used in, of the enemy in ways they don't even realize. There's such deception. If, if you were to ask them, do you want to be influenced by a spirit of Jezebel or witchcraft or the like, they would say, no, no, no. They, in many cases, would say, as followers of Jesus Christ, certainly, they would say, I want to please the Lord. But there's such deception, and, and in so many cases, they are being used of the enemy. Not only used by the enemy in his goal to destroy their lives, but to work through them to destroy the lives of others. Well, certainly, things like deep hurts and wounds make a person more vulnerable to the deception of the enemy. Rejection and insecurities, pride and self-sufficiency, a survivor mindset, certainly, because who do survivors trust? Being a survivor is a noble thing, and some have survived many things. And I'm glad they've survived. But they're not thriving. They're not free. They're not free. God wants us to thrive, not just survive. And then there's the victim mindset. Oh, yes, yeah, some have been victims. They've really been victims of se sexual abuse and other violations. It's wrong. They have been wronged. But in their response, they've, they've taken on a victim thinking mindset. And if you take on that kind of a role as the victim, then victims don't tend to take responsibility for their part. They tend to blame. And in many cases, they're so full of fear because of what's happened. And they're determined it's not going to happen again to them or the ones they care about. So they control out of that fear. What I want to focus in on initially today, however, is how the fear of man is such a snare and how it is such an open door to be drawn in to the web of witchcraft and become a unwitting, perhaps, unknowing participant. And it's the story of King Saul. How fear, how the fear of man amazing as it sounds, anointed of God, anointed to be king, but how the fear of man led to the house of a witch, and after that, his eventual demise. Some scriptures for you to look up later. It would be very helpful. I'd recommend just to read the whole chapter. Whenever I make a reference, a particular verse or verses, I would encourage you between now and next week to go 
uh, go through this in more detail and read the chapter, at least, surrounding, so you get the whole story and uh, really soak in it some more and, and, and benefit from the full impact that the Lord wants to impart. But in this story, in this account, Saul had been anointed as king, and uh, Samuel was planning on meeting him at Gilgal, and there they were going to offer a sacrifice seven days later. Well, the seventh day had come, and where's Samuel? Again and again, I see in Scripture where Saul is afraid. It's amazing. So many references to that. He was afraid in this situation. He was afraid in the next one I'm going to refer to when King David, after King David had uh, killed Goliath and they came back and uh, everybody was singing that Saul had slain his thousands, but David had slain his tens of thousands. Right there, part part of Saul's response was fear. He was afraid of David. He was jealous of David. This refrain, as it says, galled him. The gall of bitterness, if you will. He realized by then that the spirit had departed him and that the favor of God was on David. And he was thinking, what more can David take but the kingdom? But going back to 1 Samuel 13, where's Samuel? He wasn't coming. He's supposed to be there. Well, Saul's getting nervous. He is afraid, as it says. And he saw that the people were beginning to leave. They were beginning to scatter. Here again, it was all about the Philistines, another battle with the Philistines. And it says there in Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, verse 11, I saw that the people were scattering from me. That was his response when Samuel did come because he went ahead. He didn't wait for Samuel like he was told to. He went and offered the uh, sacrifice. And then it's like Samuel came and said, what have you done? And then that was Saul's explanation, fear of man. 1 Samuel 15, 24, similar situation in that God had given another another command through the prophet Samuel, and in this case, Saul was commanded to destroy the Amalekites. Man, woman, and child, cattle, king, everything, annihilate them. No survivors, nothing, zero, no exceptions. Well, again, Samuel comes on the scene. Here's the bleeding of sheep, sees king, the king is still alive, the king of the Malachites, and it's like, what's going on here? And as a part of, as a part of King Saul's response, he said, I was afraid of the people, and I gave in to them. We see after that in 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, that an evil spirit sent by the Lord, you may think, why that? The Lord has his purposes in all things. God doesn't want there to be evil. God doesn't want there to be sin. But God is going to cause or allow what pleases him for his purposes, even if we don't understand his purposes. Saul had opened the door, the fear of man and pride, his insecurity, his disobedience had opened the door to the demonic. And there we see an evil spirit came forcefully upon Saul. Well, as time went on, I'll fast forward to 1 Samuel 28, 7. And again, Saul was facing the Philistines and he inquired of the Lord and got no response. The Lord had departed. The Lord was not going to respond. Because as you'll read in those chapters, the Lord God had rejected Saul as king. And instead, he was going to put David in his place. Because he thought of King David, this is a man who will do all that I command him to do. So the Lord had rejected King Saul. So what did he do? What was his response? Almost without any, I mean, with no hesitation, he said, he said, to, to, uh, to, to, to find a witch, to find a medium that he could consult. And then again, Samuel confronts him after that. Actually, he brings Samuel up. It was before that 
we see uh, that the whole thing is a snare. Proverbs 29, 25. Saul had been snared by the fear of man. And the fear of man does truly bring a, a, a snare. Right before that, as he consulted the witch, it, it, it just says, it just points out how far he had fallen. And it was shortly after that he died. During that time where he did not destroy the Amalekites, Samuel confronted Saul. And he said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Notice, notice where witchcraft starts. Sometimes we think, oh, witchcraft, that's automatically, in, you know, square one is demonic. In your verse today, or your verses on the cover sheet, and I'll just read an abbreviated version, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is extreme lust, idolatry, and witchcraft, and then it goes on, and then finishes by saying, they which do such things shall not inherit, excuse me, inherit the kingdom of God. I think this is important to point out. And Samuel said it to Saul. To rebel, or rebellion, is as the sin of witchcraft. He didn't say the demon of witchcraft. He said the sin of witchcraft, which is a deed of the flesh, as it's listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. But isn't it interesting how, though it starts there, it quickly moves into the demonic realm. And, and we really see that in the first reference there on your first page, uh, part G, through the prophet Samuel, God commanded Saul to totally destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites represent the flesh. Saul, by not putting to death the flesh, the deeds of the flesh in his own life, opened the door to the demonic. And so it is with us. If we don't walk after the spirit, and, but instead fulfill the deeds of the flesh, yield to the flesh, life with Jesus left out, some of the deeds of the flesh listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, as we yield to that, as children of God, that's not who we are, but as we yield our members to instruments, as instrument, instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, it opens the door for more than sin it opens the door to the demonic. So isn't it sad, isn't it tragic that though King Saul had been anointed king because he didn't put to death the deeds of the flesh in his own life, which really is representative by not destroying the Amalekites, which represent that. How prophetic. What an interesting parallel. He was open to the ongoing assault of the Philistines, representing the demonic, and he was open to the actual demonic in his life because he didn't put to, the de put to death the deeds of the flesh. So he went from opening, opening his heart to the fear of man, and it took him to the door of a witch. In that example, it points out how we can be drawn in to be a participant. How about if we're on the receiving end and we are slimed or contaminated or affected by one who is operating with a spirit of witchcraft? Let's take a look at another example, part C in your outline, discerning the effects of witchcraft. In this story, we see where Elijah was the recipient. He had just had one of, if not the high point of his ministry, where the prophets of Baal had been wiped out that were at Mount Carmel. So he'd had a great victory. Well, Ahab, the husband of Jezebel, told Jezebel what had happened. And her response, her response is in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. Let's take a look at that. 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. First Kings, 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, 
May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. How can that be? This is the prophet Elijah. How could he run? He was Jezebeled, so to speak. Her witchcraft slimed him. We see right away he became afraid and ran. Fearful. He felt fearful and withdrawn. We see as you read the story, as you go on in the story, he was wiped out. He was wasted. Other words that we could use to describe his condition leading up to feeling defeated Confused, discouraged, despairing, depressed, disoriented, disillusioned, defeated. Can you identify with any of those? Have you ever been on the receiving end of one who was misusing spiritual authority or operating with a spirit other than the Holy Spirit and you can, you can identify with some of the things that are listed here? Being suicidal would uh, definitely be a part of it. It reminds me of a situation where in past years, Mindy and I went on uh, one of our missions trips, and uh, we were going to counsel with a couple. And uh, before we went, um, she, the wife of this couple, sent a letter. The Lord really prepared our hearts. And in that letter, uh, the Lord gave discernment, and we knew she was operating with the spirit of Jezebel, and that there was witchcraft all over that. So we took some of this kind of material with us to share. We didn't know how we were going to be able to share it, but we wanted to go prepared with some printed material. Yes, the word of God. Yes, the discernment that he had given us. Yes, however he wanted to lead us. But we wanted to go prepared. And it was like he was already preparing us ahead of time how to pray into this and how to pray protection for ourselves. Well, a time came as part of our time where we, in the course of meeting with this couple, we were able to get along, get alone with the husband. And uh, I knew the time was right to share with him what he was dealing with. And as we did... Just truth and perspective, just, just what I've been doing last week and this week. I mean, the truth and perspective of, of what I'm sharing can be part of being set free because it gives hope just as it gave him hope. I saw the cloud lift right before our very eyes, a cloud of darkness lifted off of him. His countenance brightened up. He went on to share with us that he'd been suicidal. He was so confused, he was all these things and more that are listed, and he had actually thought about taking his life. And this was someone who had been greatly used of the Lord in that land as a missionary, not a lightweight at all in terms of impact, having great impact, and he was actually considering taking his life. I wonder where that came from. He had been Jezebeled. He was under the influence and being slimed by her witchcraft, and he actually was thinking of taking his own life, but no more. We shared what we shared. The veil was lifted. Light came into his eyes, and he had new hope. And that's part of what I want to happen as I share these things, because I know how, how diabolical the enemy is. I can't imagine anyone not taking their life without being deceived of the enemy. Oh, yes, there may be factors other than that involved, the phys physiological factors, issues of the heart, unresolved issues, circumstances, feeling overwhelmed. Many things can be true at the same time. But the enemy loves to get a grip on people. He, gets to, he loves to twist it, and his, his, his goal is to destroy I firmly believe that anybody who has ever committed suicide was being deceived by demonic spirits at that point in time. That was part of what was going on. It is because it's not a rational act. It's not a reasonable choice. 
And yes, we can say it's the most selfish thing a person could ever do. It's the ultimate example of playing God. We can say all those things, but how about people who love God? How about people who have served God? How about people have, who have been used of God in mighty ways? They love God. They want to please God. They don't want to run their lives. They don't want to be selfish. They want to give their lives away. But the enemy gets in there and he lies to them. And if, if he can get them to believe, you failed God, or you failed the church, or you failed this person, or you failed that group of people. He spins it and he makes it look like it's hopeless. It's too late. The damage is already done. I failed God. I failed others. I failed myself. I'd be better off dead. I don't even deserve to die. I mean, to live rather. I don't deserve to live. I deserve to die. And the fact that I'm depressed and feeling defeated, well, that's what I deserve. I deserve to be miserable. I shouldn't be happy. In fact, if I'm happy today, I feel guilty about it because I shouldn't be happy. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. It's demonic. Suicide is demonic. And these things leading up to it are demonic. We need to call it what it is. But we can be free. Let me read another story from uh, John Paul Jackson's book. It's on page 40. Again, another example of how diabolical witchcraft is. <clears throat> Page 40, and the um, section title is The Anointing Attracts. Troy had a great anointing from God. Thousands attended the churches that he had started, to which he had been given oversight. Many signs and wonders followed him. He moved in words of knowledge with incredible accuracy. He was disciplined in prayer, fasting, and was an avid student of Scripture. The magnitude of God's anointing on his life was revealed in his sermons and his writings. Even in the early days of his ministry, an apostolic mantle was evident. Nevertheless, in ignorance, Troy fell into a trap. While counseling a woman, I'm assuming alone, which is a big mistake right there, not because of women. But uh, just as an aside, the Lord showed me a long time ago, whenever you meet with a woman, always have another woman sitting in. Not just because she's a woman and I'm a man, but I want a woman's perspective. I want a woman's point of view. I want a woman's support. I want the woman that I'm ministering to to be cared for and blessed all the more. Two are definitely better than one. So many reasons. There's no evidence here that he had anybody sitting in with him. While counseling a woman, Troy discovered that she was a witch. Without, inter without, without intercessory assistance, in other words, he didn't let anybody know, he attempted to deliver her. Pretending to be delivered, the witch built a web of flattery telling Troy how great he was. She claimed that when he prayed, or rather, yes, when he prayed, she felt God's touch like never before. Shortly thereafter, subtle changes began to affect Troy's life. His hunger for spiritual things began to dissipate. His prayer life, fasting, and Bible study diminished. He excused his disinterest as being, as being due to an ever-increasing uh, ever workload. Thus, the trap was set. After her departure, interestingly, she left. But after her departure, two other witches were sent by the coven to attend Troy's church and petitioned Satan to destroy both Troy and his church. These women attended intercessory meetings and began to exert influence on others as they rose to leadership roles. Amazing. As their influence blanketed the church with deception, they even convinced the intercessors that Troy's wife was a spiritual hindrance to him. Eventually, they prophesied, quote-unquote, that God would take her life so that Troy would become the great man of God that he was destined to become. One which became Troy's secretary. Each day, she made constant innuendos to him and the staff about his wife's shortcomings, sowing that discord, lying, entertaining the lie that his wife was holding him back. Troy slowly agreed with the forces of darkness 
that the Lord should take her home. He began to ask God for an, an illness. He began to ask God for an illness unto death to come upon his wife. Troy's wife eventually became very ill. But then, but when she was near the point of death, God intervened. Then Troy's seductive and vivacious secretary, who was a witch, keep in mind, reverted to a new strategy. She hinted that his wife, she hinted that his wife had actually been sent by Satan to keep Troy from producing a godly man-child seed. As unbelievable as it sounds, she convinced Troy that she and she alone carried this golden seed that would be birthed from their sexual union. Being enmeshed in such a web of deception allowed these palatable and silly lies to take a root in him. Troy eventually divorced his wife and married this woman. Within nine months, he developed prostate cancer and died. The woman inherit, inherited all of his wealth. She later drew another pastor into her web, married him. He also died. Going back to what I shared last week, I pray that there is a a rising conviction in us that we will not tolerate Jezebel. We will not tolerate witchcraft. But how do we respond? How do we respond? When we hear stories like this, it's mind-boggling. And we, we feel a new resolve and a determination. I'm not going to get in that web. I'm not going to be a participant. And nobody's going to Jezebel me. Nobody's going to get me in the web of witchcraft. It's not going to happen. But what should our response be? Well, if we have already been slimed, if we have already been Jezebeled, if we are experiencing some of those things I mentioned earlier, fearful, withdrawn, wasted, confused, and the like, feeling defeated, disillusioned, and the like, even having thoughts of suicide, how should we respond? Well, there's a theme. There, there is a theme. I'm going to share some things in the next part of your outline under Part D. There is a theme uh, that I want to emphasize, and the theme is this. Just as surely as last week, a major central theme in the message last week was do not tolerate Jezebel. Zero tolerance. That was a central theme. We cannot tolerate Jezebel. A central theme to this message is this. We must respond in an opposite spirit. One of the best ways, one of the most effective ways of doing spiritual warfare is to come against that which is coming at us in the opposite spirit. It takes great humility to do that. It takes the fear of the Lord to do that. It takes dying daily to do that. It takes taking up your cross daily to do that, and that's exactly what God wants. Before I go on, think of Jesus when he was attacked by the enemy, tempted by the enemy after 40 days in the wilderness. The assault of the enemy came against him. His response was according to the word of God. He, he responded with the word of God. He was the truth, and he responded with the truth. It won't help us having an attitude, and we'll talk more about this in future sessions of freedom. It won't help us to have an attitude like we're looking for a fight. We must keep in mind that we're in a war zone, but we must keep in mind whose battle it is. The battle is the Lord's, not ours. The enemy knows that those of us that are in Christ are no match for him because we have the authority of Christ. So he's not going to go after us with power against power because he knows the power and authority of Jesus has already defeated him. He'll use deception. 
And what makes us prone to that? Those things I mentioned earlier. Unhealed wounds, insecurities, pride, victim thinking, fear of man. And that's part of what freedom is all about. And we'll be moving into that in the second part of freedom after the first of the year, getting the arrows out. The arrow of pride, the arrow of shame, the arrow of fear, the arrow of anger, the arrow of depression. Getting those arrows out. Why? So we can be just arrow-free and happier because of it? No, these arrows are, in- are enemies of intimacy with God. And our intimacy with God and walking in humility and the fear of the, of the Lord is key to the place of divine immunity, which is what we're going to be talking about next week, living free with divine immunity. We can be there, sons and daughters. We can live there, sons and daughters. Perfection isn't the goal. We're always going to be in process here on planet Earth. But the truth and the perspective, knowing who you are, Being free to be who you are is all part of living free. So keep in mind that opposite spirit theme that is so key. Bless, don't retaliate. As it says in Matthew 5, depending on your translation, bless or pray for those who curse or persecute you, as the case may be, don't retaliate. Bless them. It reminds me that uh, there was a time in my life when I was coming under an attack of witchcraft in this case. I knew something was going on. And the Lord made it real to me what was going on. But, But it was hard. Part of what it was hard is because it involved somebody that you wouldn't have thought of. I mean, We've got to be willing not to make excuses for people. We've got to keep in mind that no matter what their position is, no matter what their good reputation is, no matter what their standing is, it might be the least likely candidate that would be a tool of the enemy operating with witchcraft, not willingly, but unwittingly, I had to admit to myself that it was true. And that was one of the greatest challenges for me to quit making excuses for this person on the inside in my mind and heart and admit it's true. I mean, they're guilty. No offense, but I know what I'm feeling. I know what's going on, and it's not natural. It's demonic. I know I'm experiencing these things. I know the suppression I'm feeling. I know I'm feeling shut down at times. I know I'm feeling intimidated at times. And I know that is not natural. I know the enemy is at work here. I'm not saying they want it, but it's true. And I had to admit to myself, they're being used of the enemy. And uh, they're operating to some degree out of witchcraft. When I admitted that to myself and began to implement these things I'm going to be shared with you, free, incredible, not intimidated anymore, not feeling shut down anymore, not freezing up, not freezing up my, you know, it's just kind of like your soul freezes up. You know, you're going along and you're just, you can hardly talk. The breath is taken away. Hard to get the words out. It's just kind of like everything freezes up. There's no oil. It's kind of like probably what happens when an engine runs out of oil. You let it run dry, you know, and it finally just locks up, freezes up, because we need that oil. And we need the oil of the Holy Spirit. But I was freezing up at times. But as simple as it sounds, as I agreed with God, and I said, I don't understand this. I don't think they want this. And it's not like I've got to tell them that they're operating in this. This is not what I have to communicate. All I know is it's happening, and I want to be free to relate to this person. I want to be free from this witchcraft influence, so I had to admit to myself, once I did, and once I began to pray blessing on them, yes, forgive them, because of the hurt, the offense, always forgive, always cancel the debt, always agree with God in that regard, that's foundational, that's central, walking in forgiveness, because what it takes to walk in forgiveness sets a whole lot of other things up, (laughs) because when you forgive somebody, you've got to quit playing God yourself. 
When you forgive somebody, you've got to let go of control. When you forgive somebody, you give up the outcome. You let the outcome be God's. When you forgive somebody, you're operating out of a thankful heart for a debt that he paid, your debt of sin that you could have never paid. And what's this $20 debt in comparison? You cancel the debt for your sake. You give up the claim. You make the glorious exchange. Jesus is enough. He's your life. He's your sufficiency. You let them go. They're off your hook. They're not off his hook. You forgive them small f, you don't forgive them capital F because you're not God. Only God forgives capital F. Forgive. But you forgive small f. They're off your hook and then you're free. They're not free from responsibility. That's always central. And of course, if you've forgiven, you can bless. <laughs> you can pray for them. And then your attitude continues on in Romans 12, 19 through 21. You overcome. You overcome evil with good. I think of my wonderful wife. This person that I re referred to earlier that was sowing discord and uh, putting us in a bad light and all the things that I had mentioned before, lying, controlling, stealing the affections of others. I saw my wife live it out. I saw my wife live out overcoming evil with good. It was supernatural. I, I thought, this is amazing. I'm seeing it before my very eyes. We can do this. She inspired me. And the goal wasn't that it changed anything. The goal wasn't that it bore fruit. The goal wasn't, for our sake rather, yes, for Jesus' sake, for her sake, for her relationships with others' sake, yes, yes, yes. But it didn't have to happen for Mindy's sake or our sake. It was a beautiful thing to see. And then pray that that person operating in witchcraft will have a revelation of the perfect love of God. Because often at the root of control <laughs> is fear. Show me a controlling person, I'll show you a fearful person. There's fear. There's always fear as a part of the root system. Maybe fear of man, maybe pride, maybe insecurity. More than one thing can be true, but where there's control, there is fear. Look at King Saul. We saw it again and again, almost in every encounter where he failed. As I've already mentioned, he was afraid when the people were scattering. He was afraid that uh, David was, you know, what more can David take but the kingdom? He was afraid of David. He had murder in his heart toward David. He was afraid of the people back in 1 Samuel 15. He was afraid of the people. And that was part of his excuse for not annihilating the Amalekites. He didn't crucify the flesh. He didn't annihilate the Amalekites. Symbolic of the flesh. So we must pray that they have a revelation. This is amazing, isn't it? Because the temptation is, they are sliming me. They're sliming people. They're doing harm. They're devastating people. Somebody's got to stop them. Don't those in leadership, don't those in a place of authority, aren't they going to do something about it? If it's a family thing, isn't somebody in the family going to confront them? How can we let this keep going? It's wrong. We've got to humble ourselves. That doesn't mean we're wimps. That doesn't mean we're weak. It takes, it takes great courage sometimes. <laughs> it always takes great courage to obey. But it takes great courage to live the way I'm talking about. Because it's not fear-based. It's love-based. It's love-based to, to, to live a life of blessing and praying for those who curse you and persecute you. It's, it's love-based to overcome evil with good. It's love-based to pray that the witchcraft, the person operating the witchcraft, will have revelation of the perfect love of God. You know, the temptation is a power encounter. But perfect love casts out all fear, and fear is at the root of their control. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then as a part of what I'm saying, if you've been slimed, and this happens quite often, you know, day in and day out as I'm 
ministering here at Trinity and different members of our team who are ministering to others get slimed, part of my immediate response is, let's pray. And I want to lay hands on them and just pray for the cleansing, the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, to de-slime them, decontaminate them. And the Lord just washes over. He just washes over their soul. He just washes over their spirit. So if you've been slimed, if you've been contaminated, that can be a part of the immediate response. The immediate provision, the immediate thing you seek. But then it doesn't stop there. We must continue on living from this opposite spirit, which takes total trust. If you're still operating from fear, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time coming against it in the opposite spirit. So you're going to have to receive that perfect love to cast the fears out of you. You're going to have to humble yourself. Oh yeah, there may be things going on that are bumping you. One thing that I know that also comes into play, my experience when attacked with Jezebel, my experience when attacked by a spirit of witchcraft, always what the Lord showed me that he wanted from me in the way of response was, Lord, what do you want, what do you want to teach me through this? Mold and shape me, Lord. Train my hands for war. We, we, can't, we can't avoid that. God is always up to good. If he's allowing it, he's got good in mind. And the good includes all the things we're talking about, including training your hands for war, equipping you so that you can not only be free, but that you can help others be free. Because it's never just about you. It's always about helping others, giving away what you have received. But if we fight it, if we fight it, we just make it harder and harder and harder. And we're much more susceptible to being um, victimized by the enemy, if I can say it that way, victimizing ourselves. If we respond with a retaliation, if we respond with pride, if we don't respond in an opposite spirit, isn't this ironic? We've been slimed by Jezebel and witchcraft. In our response, if not a godly response, according to the attitudes that I've mentioned, we set ourselves up to be drawn into the web, and then we become a practitioner ourselves. Isn't that ironic? May it never be. So what is the antidote, if you will? In the first part of the outline, we started with the fear of man. The fear of man snared by the web of witchcraft. And now, if that's the way in, if the fear of man is, is the way in, the web, if I can say it that way, or one of the ways, one of the major ways for sure, then what's the way out and to stay out? Well, it has to be rooted and founded in the fear of the Lord. Repent of all the ways that you have operated in witchcraft in your life. All the ways that you have operated with a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit to dominate, manipulate, or control. Repent. And as it says in Revelation 2, 20 through 22, don't tolerate this in your life. Don't tolerate Jezebel in your life. Don't have fellowship with her. Don't connect with her. And you can add that to your outline since that verse was not in there. Those verses not, were not in there. Renounce from operating in this counterfeit spiritual authority. Humble yourself by trusting God to establish you in true spiritual authority. What does it mean to renounce? Many people will ask that question. They'll say, well, I think I understand what repent is, but what, what is this renounce? I mean, is that something extra? Repent is a change of mind and heart. Because you have godly sorrow. You see your sin. You know you've sinned against God. You've sinned against others. You maybe even, maybe even have sinned against yourself, but you see the main issue is sinning against God, and you have a change of mind and heart, and you go a different way, his way. To renounce includes repentance, but it takes it a step further in the sense that, that you reject and disown you say, no more, I cut myself off in Jesus' name. And maybe you, maybe you come from a family 
of many that have operated this way. And you may think this is kind of a family thing that keeps showing up every generation. No more. I cut the cord now in Jesus' name. I cut the tie of the generations. I cut the soul ties in Jesus' name. The curse is broken because Jesus became the curse. No more in Jesus' name. I disown, I renounced my true birthright. The truest thing about me is I have a new birthright from the Lord. And I have royalty. I'm royalty. I've got royal blood flowing in my veins. The truest thing about me is not being the son of Don and Marge Peterson. The truest thing about me is I'm a son of the Most High God. Blood bought, royalty, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, accepted in the beloved, loved with an everlasting love, the delight of his heart, apple of his eye, a son no longer a slave to sin, free in Jesus' name, and more. But that's a good start. Humble yourself. And you can find a reference in 2 Corinthians 4.2 regarding renouncing secret things and shameful things in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 4.2. Number three, humble yourself before the Lord and allow him to be your source of significance. If I can say it this way, may our search for significance culminate in Jesus Christ himself. May that be the destination <laughs> and culmination, Christ himself. Submit to God, living there, living there, submitting to God, resisting the devil, James 4, 7. And by the way, humbling yourself, references there, James 4, 10, 1 Peter 4, 6. Submit to God, resist the devil, James 4, 7. Notice the order. Resist the enemy doesn't come first. Submit to God, which is an agreement and an acknowledgement that you have the authority of the Most High. His authority, because we're, we're dead on our own. On our own strength, we're dead. In Christ, we're alive. We have the victory. And then fear the Lord and hate evil, which Proverbs 8.13. Proverbs 8.13 speaks of that. Fear of the Lord is many things. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is departing from evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the key to riches, honor, and life by his definition. The fear of the Lord Humility and the fear of the Lord is agreeing with God and making Jesus the reason that you do what you do or don't do. What better reason to live? What better reason to choose to forgive? What better reason to humble yourself? What better reason to fill in the blank and do His will, do His bidding, no matter what the cost, no matter what the pain, no matter what the loss, no matter what the gain, He is worth it. And if He's not worth it, then we're, He's got more work to do. Because <laughs> He wants to be worth it. And whatever he allows is going to be with that in mind. He's not playing games, but he so wants us. We are always on his mind. And when you are always on, excuse me, he is always, we, I'll start over again. We are always on his mind. Amazing. When he is always on our mind, that's fellowship. <laughs> that's intimacy. That's what he wants. How about you? Application time. How about you? Have you operated from a spirit of witchcraft? How have you been guilty? Or have you been slimed or contaminated by one who has operated in this counterfeit authority? By whom? How have you been affected? What I'd like you to do, opportunity, no pressure, just opportunity. The cross is here in the background. Appropriate. <laughs> always, always a part of the picture, right? Always a part of the picture. Jesus went to the cross. He was buried. He was raised. He sits at the right hand of the Father. But we don't leave the cross behind. We take it up daily and reaffirm. I'm co-crucified with Christ. It is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I appropriate the reality of the cross, putting the deeds of the flesh to death daily. 
because God is worthy first and foremost, but if I don't live that way and walk after the spirit that I'm opening myself up, and like the story that Derek Prince tells, I'm like a dead cow in the field, and the vultures love rotting flesh. Do you want to be an invitation to demons? Or do you want to repel them? Because if they affect you, you'll be repelling others and victimizing yourself in relationships. But if the light and the glory of the Son of God is shining forth in our lives, we will repel them. We will be a stench to them. Which is good. We don't want anything to do with them. We must walk in the fear of the Lord. We must walk in 100% obedience. We must have pure hearts. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. If you make sinless perfection the goal, your eyes will be on yourself. I'm not talking about trying not to sin again. If you do, your eyes will be on yourself. We're talking about a desperation for the living God where he is our desire and our delight. And we realize how imperfect we are, how lacking we are. We realize the great gap between God and man, but we are so glad that Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, filled that gap, and it's through him that we can have fellowship with the living God and, and glorify God on planet Earth. Do we want that? Do we want that? It reminds me, before I give you opportunity to respond, a quote from Overcoming Witchcraft by Rick Joyner. On page 45, he says, The day of supernatural neutrality is over. Those who do not know the true supernatural power of God will become increasingly subject to the evil and counterfeit spiritual powers of the enemy. That's a, it's like a vacuum. It's like a leadership vacuum. We, we can't afford to coast. We can't afford to be neutral. We can't afford to sin. We can't afford to be a Saul. We can't afford to be lax. We must be purposeful. We must be intentional. And we must realize we are in a war. And it's not a fair war. Not that there is one. But our enemy is like a terrorist. The band, Satan and his band, are like terrorists. But they're defeated in Jesus' name. So the place of immunity, which I'll talk more about next week, is where we must live. But as a part of a response today, what will be your response? Please take a piece of paper. Any piece of paper will do. And write down on that paper. We will grind this up. We will shred it. I will, it's not for my reading pleasure this afternoon. This is between you and the Lord. How about you? Have you operated from a spirit of witchcraft? Have you been guilty? If so, how? Have you been slimed or contaminated? By whom? If you want to write their name in code, just in case you're afraid somebody might read it, no problemo. This is between you and the Lord. By whom and how have you been affected? Write out your response to the Lord. Bring it to the cross and be free from the shame of that contamination, the effects of that contamination, and be free from the practice of using counterfeit spiritual authority. Don't be introspective. Don't weigh every thought and measure everything. And don't let the enemy turn this into a spiritual in, in introspection that will paralyze you in your walk. Let God make the issues. Last week and this week, I'm just setting before you the truth and perspective according to God's word, life's experiences, and the help of others. We must respond. But as a part of your response, let the Holy Spirit make the issues. Don't play the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is so for us, loves us. And he, his, his attitude is, well, if you miss it this morning, this is your last chance. You're not going to get another crack at it. I can't speak for him. I'm saying we shouldn't miss it this morning if we're ready. Why wait? But I'm also saying he is so committed to us that if you're afraid, you better be introspective and you better be your own watchman on the wall and you better be watching everything in your life or you're going to miss something. That's bondage. 
He is so committed to you, he's going to be the hound of heaven that's going to keep barking at your door and knocking at your door. He's committed to get your, getting your attention. And if he's gotten your attention today, that's wonderful. It's love. Whether you've been the guilty one or whether you have been the slimed one, write it down on a piece of paper. Come forward, not just going through the motions, but be free. Make it a prophetic act. You write it down and say, no more.